Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. This is the reading for November 14th. Today we will be reading First Out Lesbian Woman Elected to New Jersey Legislature by Penn Watkins. Movie Review, Denver Film Festival, Roundup Days, 8 through 10, by Julie River. And Oakland officials announce new Lakeshore LGBTQ Cultural District by Claire Siong. First Out Lesbian Woman Elected to New Jersey Legislature. Luann Peterpaul Esquire has made history with her victory in the recent election, making her the first out lesbian woman in New Jersey's legislature. New Jersey's 11th district was watched carefully during this election. Out of the 40 districts, the 11th was the most conservative-leaning, but Peterpaul and fellow Democrats Dr. Maggie Donlin and Van Gopal came through with a landslide victory. Peterpaul and Donlow now sit in the seats of Republicans, Marilyn Piperno and Kim Yulner. Piperno and Yulner's victory in 2021 was by a narrow margin as compared to last Tuesday's election. Peter Paul has been instrumental in many decisions made in New Jersey, such as being a key player in New Jersey's marriage equality, helping create the anti-bullying Bill of Rights, and defending the law prohibiting conversion therapy for minors. Although Peter Paul is not the first LGBTQ plus person to be elected into the New Jersey legislature, she is the first lesbian woman. Other LGBTQ plus electees are Don Guardian, Tim Eustace, and Reed Gascoria. In a press release, Peter Paul says, I am beyond humbled to have earned the support of Monmouth County residents, and I'm excited to get to work with them every day in the legislature. I am also humbled to be making history as the first openly gay woman elected to the New Jersey legislature. I stand on the shoulders of countless trailblazers who fought for equality and opened the door for people like me to serve my community in elected office. Thank you everyone who has shown up for the campaign this year. We truly could not have done this without the amazing community we built. I want to especially thank my wife Robin, my incredible partner of 40 years, for joining me on this incredible journey. I might be the first, but I certainly will not be the last. Movie Review, Denver Film Festival Roundup, Days 8 through 10. The 46th Annual Denver Film Festival just wrapped up this weekend, and the whole thing happened in your own backyard, with some of the greatest films in the world screened as part of this massive festival. We sent our correspondent, Julie River, out to catch as many movies as she could, and she came back to report on the best films at the festival. Check out the reviews below to see what's been going on down in the Denver Film Festival and get the inside scoop on the films from the festival before these movies get a wide release. There were a lot of films in the last few days, including a ton of short films, and we don't have enough space to talk about every single one. So here's a rundown of the best of the short films from the various programs. Colorado Shorts, Narrative. 
That time of the month, 90 out of 100, an investigative reporter following up on a murder investigation accidentally happens upon a house full of three werewolf roommates on what just happens to be the evening of a full moon. I'm proud to say that the Colorado Narrative Shorts program was the best shorts program I saw the whole week, with this one being one of the highlights. It was funny and charming and did a great job of contrasting the girls' werewolf natures against typical roommate drama. Drippy Club, 92 out of 100. A group of young girls at a Christian summer camp discover boys for the first time, with Jenny having her first fleeting hookup with a boy. This was a really sweet coming-of-age story in which the main character learns the hard lesson that she can count on her female friends more than she can count the men who pursue her. Sparkle, 95 out of 100. A non-binary child with a disapproving father finally comes up with the perfect gift to try to win over their father on Father's Day, but their way of getting it upsets the new neighbors. This was a great film about parental acceptance and the struggles of trans life. I especially appreciated a film about non-binary issues making its way into a program that wasn't specifically queer-focused, highlighting that the non-binary rights are human rights. Shorts 2, Documentary Under God, 93 out of 100. This short documentary follows activists who have challenged anti-abortion laws by arguing that since their religion, usually Judaism, but also Presbyterianism and Islam, allow for abortion, restrictions on the practice limit their religious freedom. This is a really eye-opening documentary that makes it clear that banning abortion isn't religious freedom. It's prioritizing one religious viewpoint over all others. How We Get Free, 95 out of 100. The Colorado-made short documentary follows Elizabeth Epps, founder of the Colorado Freedom Project, which helps people in jail awaiting trial to pay their bail. It follows her through her ultimately successful campaign to become a Colorado state representative. This was a powerful documentary about and for prison abolitionists that gives us hope, too. As Epps stated, it is her goal, eliminate cash bail in Colorado by 2027. Student Shorts, International Competition. The Newt Congress, 80 out of 100. The International Student Shorts were definitely my least favorite of all the short programs, but the Newt Congress stood out as clearly the best. In this Swiss-German mockumentary, giant talking newts have become an exploited class, carrying on labor that humans don't want to do, making for some interesting parallels between the rhetoric used to talk about the newts and that used in contemporary society to talk about immigrants. I appreciated the fact that the newts in this film were elaborate puppets, and no attempt was made to hide the puppeteers. It made for a bizarre little film with a vital message. And now on to feature-length films. They Shot the Piano Player, 85 out of 100. A music journalist researching a book on the birth of Bossa Nova stumbles on a fascinating case of Brazilian pianist Francisco Tenorio Jr., who disappeared and was presumed murdered in 1976. This film combines animation with documentary as it features a number of real-life interviews with Tenorio's contemporaries that have been transformed by animation. Jeff Goldblum voices the journalist as we get this fascinating deep dive into the world of Latin jazz before dictatorships engulf the Latin world. I've had a passing interest in jazz since my college course on jazz history. 
but we solely covered American jazz in that class, so I have very little knowledge about the Latin take on the genre. The film made learning about the genre absolutely fascinating and made the story of Tenorio's disappearance compelling and tragic, not only by doing a deep dive into the events surrounding the disappearance, but also by discussing the rise of fascism in the Latin world, which is believed to have caused the disappearance. It's a delightful film that highlights the much-needed story of this forgotten legend. All of Us Strangers, 92 out of 100. Adam meets and starts dating his mysterious new neighbor, Harry. But there's something strange about this relationship, as the more time he spends with Harry, the farther he gets drawn into a strange, dreamlike state, which culminates in him finding his parents, who died in a car accident 30 years ago, surprisingly alive in their old home. This film was a bit triggering to me because, as I've discussed before, I lost my mother when I was 23, so I never got the chance to come out to her as trans. Adam fulfills one of my long-time wishes by getting a chance to come out to his long-deceased mother, which nearly had me weeping. The film is dark and mysterious, and the relationship between Adam and his parents is heartwarming without becoming cliché. In addition to the screening of the film, the director, Andrew Hay, known for some of his other feature films such as Lean on Pete, 45 Years, and Weekend, as well as his television work in Looking and Northwater, was honored with an award for being an outstanding entertainment contributor for the LGBTQ plus community. I was granted the opportunity to speak with Hay for a few brief moments on the red carpet before his film. So what's the experience been like being honored here at the Denver Film Festival? I've only been here for about three hours so far, but it's incredible. Getting this honor and getting his, this award is special to me. I've always tried to tell stories from a queer perspective, and that's meant a lot to me. And so it's incredible that there's some kind of honor for doing that. How would you describe this movie to people who haven't seen it yet? I'm terrible at describing to anybody. I guess you could call it a ghost story. But really, it's about a reunion with the past, and it's about someone coming to terms with what his life was like growing up and how... It has had ramifications in his adult life. Do you like having it identified as a queer film? I'm very happy to. It doesn't bother me. I am queer, and I am happy for the film to be, have been called that as well. I mean, it's important to me that it's not just a queer movie. I think there's a universal appeal to the film. But absolutely, I don't mind. You can certainly say that. Soft Liquid Center, 89 out of 100. In this Colorado-made horror film, a young woman named Steph moves out of her toxic ex's home following a breakup, but soon finds her new home to be a terrifying place as furniture starts moving on its own and food rots spontaneously, suggesting some sort of supernatural possession. I'm very proud to announce that this local horror film was one of the scariest in the whole festival and definitely held its own against some of the heavy hitters from around the world. White Plastic Sky, 95 out of 100. In this Hungarian sci-fi film, the year is 2123, and humanity has found a way to survive in a polluted world through a dark trade-off. Everyone gets to live their lives for 50 years, but when those 50 years are up, they get turned into a tree, offering oxygen and sustenance to the rest of the population. But when Stefan discovers that his wife Nora volunteered to become a tree 18 years early, he goes on a journey that may challenge the very fabric of their society. This was a dark and sobering science fiction film, but it ends in a weirdly darkly hopeful way. The film is done using a technique called rotoscope, 
by which the film is shot in live action and then animated over. This creates an interesting sense of artificial covering up the real, which is the nature of the society being predicted. It also made the film a little more fantastical while simultaneously giving us a dire warning about the future. The People's Joker, 100 out of 100. The Joker is a transgender woman living in Gotham City where only state-sanctioned comedy is legal. Finding the official comedy troupe to be a problematic, she starts her own anti-comedy troupe with her friend, The Penguin, where she meets an abusive trans-mask lover named Mr. J and has to handle being harassed by the abusive and closeted gay man, Batman, transgender filmmaker Vera Drew, takes us on a journey through her own transition and troubled relationship using the Batman universe as a brilliant metaphor for her real-life experiences. Correctly billed as the wildest, gayest film in the entire festival, The People's Joker is a queer masterpiece that deserves to be seen everywhere. There's no question about the film that it's campy, with no budget to pull off the more elaborate action sequences. Anything that requires a budget that the film doesn't have is recreated with animation or simply with Batman action figures. But that's part of the film's bonkers aesthetic where silliness abounds and there are virtually no rules. Drew's Joker is equal parts the Joker and Harley Quinn from various different media, with the chemicals that change Harley into estrogen. Mr. J is basically a fusion of Jason Todd from the comics and Jared Leto's notoriously awful Joker from Suicide Squad. But based on the comments from the director before and after the film, Mr. J also represents Drew's own ex. For all of the silliness, the story tells a grounded autobiography that is, at times, surprisingly poignant. Apparently, this film has been plagued by rights issues, with the film getting a cease and desist letter from Warner Brothers shortly before its screening at the Toronto International Film Festival. The film clearly falls under the fair rights laws for parody. But too often, fair right cases are decided solely based on who can hire the most expensive lawyers. Still, Drew soldiers on, and while she wasn't willing to give details, she promised to have struck up a deal to get this film distributed. Going Varsity in Mariachi, 87 out of 100. This documentary follows the fascinating world of competitive mariachi music, following the Edinburgh North High School team in Edinburgh, Texas, known as the Mariachi Oro. I knew nothing about the whole world of comparative mariachi. Apparently, there are even scholarships for mariachi. Giving these young people a chance at college through their love of music, the documentary did a great job of explaining the sport to the uninitiated. It also did an excellent job of making likable characters out of all of the kids, and there was even an adorable queer relationship between two of the girls in the band. In the rear view, 97 out of 100. In this documentary, a Polish humanitarian worker drives Ukrainian refugees out of their homeland to evacuate them following the Russian invasion. Filmmaker Masia Kamala simply films the passengers and captures their real conversations as they flee the terror of the war into safety. This was a stark and shocking documentary that did a great job of showing the viewer what the war-torn country looks like on the ground. It looks like real people just trying to live their lives. 
The Denver Film Festival may be over, but Denver Film and the Sci Film Center have a lot more to offer year-round, including a slew of mini-festivals throughout the year. Check out what else they have to offer and fall in love with film. Oakland officials announce new Lakeshore LGBTQ cultural district. Oakland residents celebrated a new resolution to establish an LGBTQ plus cultural district in the Lakeshore neighborhood. Oakland Mayor Shang Thao, as well as both members of the Oakland queer community and several council members, announced the news in a press event on Tuesday. The Oakland LGBTQ Community Center stands out as a pillar of the new district. It was founded six years ago and provides a variety of educational, social, and health-related activities, programs, and services, according to their website. However, the LGBTQ plus community presence in Oakland stretches even further back to the 1950s. Lakeshore was the home to several queer bars, which dominated the scene into the 80s. Many members of the East Bay LGBTQ plus community have long considered the neighborhood as their home. The designation of this cultural district, only the second in the city, pays respect to the neighborhood's vibrant past, while also creating a supportive environment for diverse LGBTQ individuals, families, allies, and businesses, and a safe, vibrant, and welcoming community. As the text of the new legislation states, in coming months, we can expect to see plans for events and district boundaries, as well as hopefully the arrival of new LGBTQ plus owned businesses, in addition to the dozen or so already existing. The timing of this legislation was important, especially in the light of the recent actions taken by many school districts in California to limit the rights of transgender students. Mayor Theo, Assemblymember Maya Bonta, and others spoke at the event about the ongoing fight to resist hate and establish safe spaces for members of the LGBTQ plus community to freely express themselves. Jeopardy star and Oakland residents Amy Schneider, who emceed the press event, expressed her gratitude to the city, describing how living in this haven for LGBTQ people enabled her to live authentically. The co-founders of the community center, Jeff Myers and Joe Hawkins, also spoke of their hopes for the future of the district. Says Hawkins, this is just the beginning. In my mind, the whole lake is the LGBTQ plus cultural district. Black trans woman Lisa Love murdered. Lisa Love was leaving a friend's home in the early hours of October 17th when she was fatally shot in the chest and the back. The perpetrator of this crime was likely someone local as people within her community knew that she was trans. Love was only 32 years old at the time of her death. She was a kind, caring woman, a graduate of Kenwood High and a fan of Amaya Scott, and contradiction, the kid. Lisa Love was a person full of passion, ideas, thoughts, and ambitions. She was a person who had her life ripped away from her, and she is not the only trans person to have been murdered this year. Statistically, this year alone, a trans person has been murdered every nine days, with at least 25 cases having been recorded. That means that we only know a certain percentage of fatal violence against trans people so far this year due to reports not being made, misgendered by news sources and other factors. With anti-trans bills and rhetoric being spread on the daily at this point, the day-to-day -day life of trans individuals is growing more and more dangerous in certain places. 
According to the analysis done by the Human Rights Campaign, 88% of victims were people of color, with 53% of victims of anti-gay violence are black trans women. It is a well-known quote by Malcolm X said it best. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Black trans women have done so much for human rights as many of the rights they have today are because black trans women fought for them. The fact that black women and black femmes in general are largely targeted and become victims of violence, murder, and sexual assault should be a major concern in the ongoing fight for human rights. United Nations Committee Condemns U.S. Record on LGBTQ Plus Rights Despite five decades of progress, equality is not within reach and often not even within sight for all persons impacted by violence and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in the United States, says Victor Madrigal Borlas. The United Nations Independent Expert on Protection Against Violence and Discrimination on the Basis of Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. The United Nations Human Rights Committee issued a rebuke of the United States record on civil and political rights, especially in the wake of record numbers of discriminatory state legislation targeting the human rights of the LGBTQ plus community. The HRC review was leased on November 3rd. Mr. Mondragon Borlas, delivering his sobering conclusions in late August following a 10-day visit to Washington, D.C., Birmingham, Alabama, Miami, Florida, and San Diego, California, the expert met with state officials and members of the community who shared their experiences with him. Madrigal Borlas added that LGBTQ plus people, especially people of color, continue to face significant inequality in health, education, employment, and housing, in addition to being disproportionately impacted by violence. Although the committee recognized that the Biden administration has adopted measures to address the challenges Madrigal Borlas identified, it also pointed out that these measures have been under attack. I am deeply alarmed by the widespread, profoundly negative riptide created by deliberate actions to roll back the human rights of LGBTQ people at the state level, says Madrigal Borlas, noting that these discriminatory measures seek to limit comprehensive sexual and gender education, access to gender-affirming care, and rebuild stigma against the wider queer community. The evidence shows that without exception, these actions rely on prejudiced and stigmatizing views of LGBT persons, in particular transgender children and youth, and seek to leverage their lives as props for political profit. The community points to a slew of state laws popping up across the United States. Among these laws are those banning books, prohibiting classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity and the LGBTQ+, and prohibiting transgender children from participating in school sports or using bathrooms that align with their gender identity. It is concluding observations the HRC underscored the prevalence of discrimination against LGBTQ plus people in the U.S. The U.N. committee went on to condemn the troubling rise in derogatory speech aimed at queer people, including from public officials, adding that violence against LGBTQ plus people is on the rise. The U.N. committee 
went on to urge the Biden administration to redouble its efforts to support the human rights of LGBTQ plus people in its jurisdiction. The committee's findings should act as a wake-up call for lawmakers in the United States, both state and federal, to stop actively undermining U.S. human rights obligations and repeal these discriminatory laws. Whether or not the United Nations rebuke will be heeded by a conservative wing of U.S. politics that is growing more extreme is yet to be seen. Hungary deems history exhibit inappropriate for minors. Recently, an exhibit in Hungary has been deemed unsuitable for minors due to the inclusion of a series of images that depict LGBTQ plus individuals. This year's World Press photo exhibit held in Budapest was visited by photojournalist Hannah Rea Morales, who shared five photos in the exhibit. These photos show a community of elderly LGBTQ plus refugees from the Philippines who have grown old together with their found families. Some of the photos show some of the refugees in drag, which is why right-wing lawmaker Dora Duro complained, resulting in the exhibit being banned for anyone under 18, even with the consent of an adult. Hungary's anti-LGBTQ plus laws purport to be for the safety and consideration of children, but the demonization of queer and trans people often leads to LGBTQ plus children being ashamed of themselves, harassed, and discriminated against as they grow up. Beyond the repercussions of treating, being LGBTQ plus as an abnormality, there are also repercussions for not showing minors that history is worth learning. It's evident in our recent world politics, those who do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat the faults of their ancestors. Even though the exhibit simply displays images of the past, every single one of them has a story and a reason for being captured and immortalized. Saying that images of people in drag are harmful to children is frankly disrespectful. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros.